Hey, well, good morning again, church. Hey, while you're getting your bulletin out and your Bible out, I have one more just very important announcement to make that I probably should have made um, two weeks ago, but I was in Yorktown this past Sunday. Um, but Miss Ruby, could you stand up? Miss Ruby Bell, could you stand up? On December 5th, Miss Ruby turned 95 years old. And so we just want to celebrate with her. And maybe you're saying, hey, why didn't I announce your birthday? Hey, once you get into your 90s, I'm going to announce your birthday every single year as well. But we're so blessed by you and grateful to have you in this church. Doesn't she look like she's like 65? Is that a compliment if I say 65? No? It's not? Okay. All right. We'll talk afterwards. Church, have you ever thought something or learned something and believe something, and then you realize at some point what you were thinking, believing, or even acting on was completely wrong. And maybe sometimes this happens when you're younger and then you're growing up, and maybe when you're younger you believe something, and then somebody taught you something or you experienced something, and you realize what you were thinking or believing from before was completely wrong or completely off or just way out of where it should have been. Here's a couple of things that I used to believe, especially when I was younger, and then growing up or at some point, I realized that what I was thinking about this particular thing was just simply off. It was even wrong. Uh, for one thing, I thought my parents were rich growing up. I thought my parents had all the money in the world. In fact, I don't think uh, parents say this anymore, but I can remember my dad at some points even saying, hey, money doesn't grow on trees. But I don't think I realized that my parents weren't rich until I asked for a pair of Shaquille O'Neal pump-up sneakers. Come on, where are my 90 kids at? You know what I'm talking about? They had these little basketballs on them that you would pump up, and they were supposed to make you jump higher. But I remember, I think it was for Christmas, I didn't get the Reebok version of that. I got the Payless version of that. So they didn't buy the $130 pairs even back in the 90s. They bought the $25 pairs from Payless. And once I got made fun of at school, I realized that maybe my parents are not rich. I used to think that driving, before I actually got my license, I used to think that driving was super easy. It was going to be a breeze. It was going to be no problem whatsoever. But it wasn't until I took the written test that I failed three times that I realized driving was a little more challenging than I thought it was going to be. In fact, even after I got my actual license, within the first year or two, I got in six or seven accidents within that first year. And most of them were with inanimate objects. Church, I hit a telephone pole one time. I hit a couple of parking lot signs. I rear-ended somebody. It was just a little bumper tab. Nothing when he died from that. But um, I realized that driving was way more challenging than I thought it was before I actually began to experience it and understand what it was really all about. I used to think that when it came to love and relationships, that primarily what love and relationship, what good love and relationships look like was primarily found in either Hollywood movies and especially movies that are like on the Hallmark Channel. You know, like you're, you meet somebody, then there's some sort of crisis that happens some sort of crisis that happens and it looks like everything is going to fail, it's not going to go well, then all of a sudden the right music plays, the right thing comes up, and then snow starts to fall, 
and then you live happily ever after, after the credits are done. In fact, once the credits are over, no other conflict or tragedies ever happen. That couple lives forever together, happily ever after. In fact, I used to get most of my ideas about what love looks like from Hollywood or from music. But whether you've realized it or not, our understanding of what real love looks like should not come from TVs or movies or even from music. Church, where do you get your understanding of love from? Because where you get that idea of love from and what it looks like, it can affect you mentally, emotionally, or even relationally. And sometimes we don't even realize it, but how, how we process the love that is given to us affects how we give love to others and our view of how love should be and how it could be. The way we view love affects how we think, how we feel, and what we do. I know I've been saying this each week throughout this series, but I just want to remind you, when it comes to your mental health, your emotional health, that is directly connected to your spiritual health. If you want to be healthy in this season mentally or emotionally, you have to be thinking about how you're thinking spiritually. We have to look at the fact that our spiritual health matters. And we've been in this series called Advent over the past few weeks, and Advent simply means coming or arrival. Look, it is the coming of Jesus for the first time when he first came as that baby in the manger that literally brought peace and hope and joy. But how many know that his first coming wasn't his only coming and that Jesus is coming back? There is a second Advent about to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And see, his coming and coming again, it brings hope, it brings peace, it brings joy. Today, we're going to look at how it's coming and coming again. Look, it brings love. But it's the type of love that doesn't make you sick, and it's the type of love that does not run away from you. It's the type of love that is foundational, but it also moves toward our greatest need and helps lead others to experience the same. I want to give you a warning today, too, as we go through this passage, as we talk about the passage today we're going to be in that I think you're, going to, you're probably going to like, and hopefully about 90% of this message is going to encourage you, but it's probably about 10% you're probably going to want to send an email on. But just remember, every time we read, read the Word of God, it reads us. The Word of God does challenge us and encourage us, but it also convicts us. It helps us and leads us to be everything that God has called us to be. So even as we're reading this today, I hope you are encouraged. I hope there is a bit of conviction. But remember, even in that, God wants something so good for you. Now, I know we normally don't do this except for maybe at the nights of prayer. But I thought we would start off today looking at this passage by doing some responsive reading and reading this passage all out together. We're going to be in two passages, John 3.16 and 1 John chapter 4. And so we're going to do some responsive reading together. So on the screen, you're going to see one of the verses. It's going to be in bold print. That's the part that you read. We're going to read that, those parts together. And then I'll read the parts that are not in bold print. And so we're going to do that together. So let's all go ahead and stand. And we're going to read these together, starting in John chapter 3, verse 16. And Miss Ruby, just because you're 95 years old, don't be trying to read my parts, okay? Don't think you can do whatever you want to do, all right? But 
Let's read this together. John chapter three, starting in verse 16. Let's read this first part, verse first, all out together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And 1 John chapter four, starting in verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, before you're seated today, I want you to announce my sermon title to the three people sitting around you and also high five them on your way down to your seat, okay? The title for today's sermon is Love is Moving. So go ahead and high five three people, tell them my sermon title, and then have a seat, okay? Church, again, God's word, it is so good all by itself. And the coming and coming again of Jesus, look, it brings love. It brings love to us. And what that means for us in a world right now is so different from what the world actually intends when it comes to this idea of love. But as we head into Christmas Eve service later on this week, and as we head into the Christmas season to celebrate the first advent and coming of Christ, and how we wait on his second advent, his coming again. And the follower of Jesus has a foundational love that is an anchor for our minds and our hearts in every season. So if you're taking notes, church, here's the first thing, okay? The coming and coming again of Jesus, it brings love. And it's a love that you can believe into. Write this down. This is a love that you can believe into. Now, of course, this is one of the most well-quoted verses in all of Scripture. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible. In fact, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you probably have either heard this verse before, maybe seen it somewhere, whether it's maybe on an athlete or at a sporting event, on a sign somewhere. You probably heard this verse somewhere in some fashion. And, of course, if you are a follower of Jesus, I can, I can almost promise you that maybe it's one of the very first verses that you heard Maybe even one of the very first verses that you've memorized, where even if it's been a minute that you've said it out loud, even if someone just started you off, you could probably quote John 3, 16 from memory. But even though this verse is so well known and it's been said so many times, we should not forget about the incredible meaning and promise that's right here in this passage. Listen to again what John records Jesus saying. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Church, right there in that passage, what God is saying to us is that he loves you. He really does. In fact, I know I just had you say this. Would you turn to the person sitting next to you? And would you simply say, hey, God 
really loves you. In choice and tell them, hey, by the way, you too as well. God really loves you. And it's not the type of love that you have for ice cream or for the Dallas Cowboys, okay? The love that God has for you is the greatest type of love. It's an unconditional love. Again, it's the type of love that doesn't walk away or abandon you. It's the type of love that he wants to lavish on you. It's the same type of love that Jesus would even tell his followers a little bit later in John chapter 15, where he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's the type of love that the apostle Paul would even write about in Romans chapter five, verse eight, where he says that God demonstrates, God shows his love in that while we were still perfect. No. God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still trying to get it all together. God shows us his love when we we had everything together and then we decided to come to him. He says, while we were still sinners, God demonstrates, he shows us his love when Christ died for us. Church, this is the type of love that is at the very root of the gospel. This is at the very heart of the gospel that says that this Jesus who is God came here to this earth to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins. Church, this is the atonement that Jesus will come and the sin that was in us, the sin that breaks us and drives us far from God, the sin that causes the brokenness in us, around us, that Jesus will come to die on the cross to pay the price for for our sins. But then three days later, he bodily rose from the dead conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, so that if we repent of that sin, if we believe this good news of the gospel, if we receive him as the Lord and leader of our lives, then that peace and joy and hope and this unconditional love that he's talking about is available to us. It is a love that is at the very root of the gospel. So church, on this one week before Christmas, I just have to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Because if you have a relationship with him, your life is now rooted in the greatest type of love. See, this is the type of love that it is so good and it is so great that even when life is good and even when life is great, we can still look to and trust in this love. See, Jesus offers this type of love that once it is accepted, it should actually cause a response in us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever noticed in your English translation of the Bible that it doesn't just simply say whoever believes him, but that little word in is inserted in there. For whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, that phrase right there in the original language, believes in him, could actually even be translated, believes into him. It carries with it this idea that believing in Jesus is more than just an intellectual maneuver for us, 
more than just a purely mental exercise. It means that you literally place your trust, your confidence, and your heart into Christ. So now your heart, your confidence, your trust now rests forever and is anchored in the person of Christ. Church, this isn't believing in yourself. This love that Jesus gives us, it calls us to believe into Christ, to place our trust, our hearts, our very confidence out of our hands and firmly, safely, confidently in his. Believe into Christ, believe out of yourself. This means that our belief system now, again, the way we think, the way we feel, and the things that we do, our whole belief system and what we believe about our world and ourselves, those things are no longer based in us. They're no longer based in what is said in culture, but they are now firmly wrapped up in who Jesus is. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that you can't be confident in your abilities or confident in the things that you're doing or confident in who you are, but you have to look and see where does that confidence come from? Is it rooted? Is it placed into Christ? Because believing in Jesus means that you are forever loved by him. Believing into him means that now you have a new foundation, a firm foundation. And it wasn't because of anything that we've done. It was all because of Jesus. It's kind of like what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, where he says that he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Church, uttermost right there in that verse simply means completely. This love completely saves you. And again, it is not based on anything that you've done. This means that when you believe into Christ, your salvation is sure. In fact, some of you have been living in doubt of your salvation, but being saved, being loved by God is not based on your doubt. It's based on his saving work. His love for you, the grace that's been given to you, saves you to the uttermost. Look, this is the type of love that you can believe into. This is the type of love that the coming and coming again of Jesus brings to those who would believe into him. But see, his coming and coming again, it doesn't just bring this type of love. See, his coming and coming again, it also brings a type of love that is the baseline for all other types of love. The love that Jesus shows us, the love that he brings, look, it is the foundational idea of what love should be and what love could be. Listen to again what John says right here in verse seven. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love. Church, I love this passage right here. I love 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. In fact, if you're looking for a verse to get tattooed on you at some point, this is the verse. Man, John says, God is love. It's not even just who he is. It's what he does. In fact, he is a very definition of love. It doesn't just even come from him, but it defines who he is. 
You know, you've heard it said before right now in our culture that love is love, but love is not real love if it isn't based in Christ. People have been treating love as if, as if that love itself were God. People have been treating love as if, 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 if that thing could be something that they would grasp, then this would be what they would worship. They treat love as if it were God instead of seeing God as the basis to define all forms of love. Again, love isn't just something that God does. It's who he is. Now, if, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, again, like, do, do I think that you can love someone? Absolutely. Do I think that you can have good relationships? Absolutely. But I really do believe from what the Bible says right here, what the Holy Spirit is saying through John, that if you don't have the love of Christ in you, you've already put a lid on your capacity for love. You've already put a lid on even your capacity to be able to, to love someone else because God is the very definition of love. But right now, the cry of our culture is love is love. But remember, what God creates, Satan counterfeits. What God wants to build up, people will try to break apart. Look, all throughout the Bible, God expresses his incredible love for his people. But all throughout the Bible, the enemy has been trying to spread lies about what that love looks like and confusing people about what what love really looks like and what it really could be, making it into the thing that we worship, even trying to make love into a God. People have moved their baseline, their foundation, for what we believe and know about love from in Christ to into themselves. But when you're a believer in Christ, when you trust him as Lord, now you filter every single thing through his perspective. This is the baseline for understanding and receiving and giving love in every season of your life, including this season as well. See, it's the baseline for our relationships. Again, some of us have gotten our cue on love from culture. And I I mentioned it before that so many of my ideas on love and relationships actually did come from culture, primarily uh, music I used to listen to, TVs, movie programs I used to listen to. Um, In fact, I remember LL Cool J had a song talking about how he needed love that would play all the time. Boys to Men, uh, J-Lo and the Wedding Planner. Come on, you've got mail. I watch all of those rom-com movies. And I got my whole idea, my basis from love and what relationships should look like. Uh, recently, my family and I, we were watching Home Alone 4. Now, some of you are just hearing for the first time there is a Home Alone 4. And let me just say that movie, that Home Alone 4, it is a counterfeit. It is a corruption. It is a movie from the devil himself, okay? In Home Alone 4, the whole premise of the movie, first thing they do, they, they recast all of the McAllister's including Buzz and the mom, Kate, and the dad, Peter, and and even Kevin himself, completely new cast of people. And the whole premise of the movie is that, of course, it's near Christmas time. And so the dad, Peter McAllister, has separated from his wife, and he's living with his new girlfriend, who apparently is related to the British royals or something like that. And so the whole premise of the movie is that he's, he's separated from his wife. The other, the other side of the family is living over here. And then somehow eventually there's some sort of a conflict with a fake Marv and all this stuff that happens inside of this very rich lady's home. But one of the things that stood out in that movie, as we were watching it, at some point, phony Kevin, 
asked phony Peter McAllister, why are you separating and heading toward divorce from mom? Why are you doing that? And the dad's response in this corruption of a movie, he simply said, sometimes, you know, you get married, you get bored, and then you want to go out and just have some more fun. So that's why I'm separated from your mom, because I wanted to have some more fun. I remember saying out loud to our kids in our home, that is so wrong. (laughs) Any relationship, the thing that you would just leave because you were bored. Church, again, if you are in Christ, you have a new perspective of love. Jesus calls husbands to love their wives as the same way that Christ loves the church. So much so that you're willing to die for her. You care for her. You'd be a loving leader for her. Like the love of God calls us to a greater type of love. And some of you right now have been in some broken relationships because you keep taking your cues from culture or your advice from a friend who's been divorced five different times. Or maybe your advice from Taylor Swift who has some great amount of heartbreak in her life. I would challenge you that in this Christmas season, for your emotional health, for your mental health, for your heart, that you would stop and go back to the one who defines love, who's the very definition of it, the one who's called you to a higher standard of love. I would challenge you that this would be a season that you hit the reset and headed a different direction. See, this, base, this love is the baseline for our relationships, but church, it's also the baseline for how we feel. Some of you have felt unloved or think you are unlovable because people have treated you in the way that they did based on their own problems or based on their own corrupted view of love. But I would even ask you, like I've been asking you so many weeks, are you believing a lie about how you're being loved? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, you take every thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. So even in a way that you're being loved, are you believing a lie? Are you believing a lie that you really are unlovable? Or is the truth is God so loved the world. He so loved you. And he wants to give you that unconditional love. Church, this is a love that we believe into. This is also the baseline for every other type of love, the very foundation for the type of love and how we feel love, but also how we give love. But here's the third thing, the coming and coming again of Jesus. Yes, it brings love, but see, it it brings a love where our belief is actually shown. It brings a, a love where our belief is actually shown. And then I want you to write down something that I thought about a little bit later on this week. I want you to write this down in your notes. But, and at times, boundaries need to be given. It's a belief where our love is actually shown to others, but there are some times where boundaries need to be applied. Again, look what John says in verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God has been made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He says, in this is love. Again, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, beloved, if, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, church, anytime the Holy Spirit kind of layers or repeats ideas like this, it's like the Bible is saying, look, don't miss this because so many people often do. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you here because so many times we get it wrong. We even get it corrupted because we're getting, whatever God has created, Satan wants to counterfeit. Whatever God wants to build up in you, people sometimes around you want to try and break that down. So anytime like the Bible layers these ideas like this and repeats it so many times, it's saying, hey, look, pay attention. Don't miss this. This is so vital for who you are and what it is God is calling you to do. John says, look, the love of God was made manifest. It simply means that it was made visible. God didn't hide his love. In fact, again, he shows it to us. He demonstrates it to us. He says that Christ was a propitiation for our sins. Now, I know that's a word you use all the time. You probably use it on your way to church today as well. I know you probably use it multiple times already today. But simply, that's just another reference to the fact that Jesus died on the cross and paid a price for your sins. That your sins, the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on you, was imputed onto Christ. It was put on Christ. So when you believe into Christ, you receive forgiveness for your sins and you get this eternal life that he promises, but you also get this incredible love and peace and joy right now while you're here on earth. It's the fact that this, these things were placed onto Jesus. So when you believe into him, this really does change our perspective, not because of what we've done, but because he first loved us. But look back again at verse 11 of 1 John chapter 4. John calls this church, he calls the people that he's writing to, the beloved. He says, you are the beloved. And again, this means that you are loved. And he says, look, if God so loved us, which he just said, yes, you have been extravagantly loved by God. If God so loved us, and, this, and if this really is the case, he says, we ought to love one another. Look, Jesus taught John and his other followers how we are to love other people, how we are to love. So we know from Jesus' teachings, there are several examples on, on how we are to actually love others outside of ourselves. And for what we're about to review right here, look, this is not going to be new for most of you. And hopefully this will be a good review in this Christmas season, how you are to love those around you. But again, remember I said probably 90% of this message I'm hoping would be encouraging to you. This part includes the 10% that you may want to give some pushback on. But just remember, God loves you and he's for you. The first way that Jesus really taught his disciples to love is that they are to love God. They are to love God. Matthew chapter 22, look, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the great and first commandment. You know, we are trichotomous beings, which means we have a body, a soul, and a spirit, which is pretty much body, mind, and heart is where the Bible usually translates those things. And 
John is saying here, or Jesus said here, is that we are to love God with every single thing that we are. And again, church, if you're thinking about how you're feeling right now, emotionally, mentally, this ties into every single thing that you are. Again, your body, your mind, and your heart, your soul. All of those things are connected. So John is saying, look here, if you want to experience this incredible love of God, man, you love him with everything that you are. That's one of the reasons I I encourage you and we challenge you so many times, like you need to worship the Lord when we gather here together on Sunday mornings, even if you don't like the songs that are being sung. Because there's something about opening your mouth, singing these praises to God, that you experience his love. And Jesus would even say, look, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Matthew 6, he says, look, you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then everything else will be added to you as well. At the end of the day, look, this life, why it matters. At the end of the day, this life has been designed to glorify God. So again, church, I just want to ask you a question. Is Jesus first or are you? Are you seeking him first in how you receive love? Are you seeking him first in how you give love? Because loving God with our heart, soul, and strength matters. But see, Jesus also taught his disciples that we need to love others. We need to love others. And in 1 John 4, 11, he says, look, we ought to love one another. But have you ever thought about who are these one another's that John was talking about right here and that Jesus would talk about. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 12, that Pastor Sean taught on last week, look, he read this verse and said, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And have you ever thought about why Jesus had to command his followers to love? Have you ever thought about why he had to tell us to love other people? I think in the end of the day, it was because, look, it is not natural for many of us. In fact, um, church, can I be honest with you today? Sometimes I don't like people. Even as a pastor, sometimes I don't even like or even love other Christians. And I really think right here, look, Jesus, Jesus had to command us to love, to tell us to love, because sometimes like, we think of it primarily as a matter of feeling but it needs to be primarily a matter of will. In fact, in John chapter 15, have you ever thought about the people that Jesus was talking to right here when he gave them this commandment to love? That people were standing in that discipleship circle? Judas is already gone, okay? Judas is on his way to betray Christ in John chapter 15, so he's not even in that circle. But think about the other people who are still in this discipleship circle that Jesus says, hey, love one another. I command you to love one another. You had some tax collectors sitting in that circle. Tax collectors were pretty much pro-government. They cozied up to the government. In fact, they loved the government because whenever the government was more corrupt, the more they benefited from it. There was fishermen and businessmen who were in that circle, like Peter and Andrew and James and John. And then you had zealots who were in this discipleship circle. If the tax collectors were pro-government, the zealots were the opposite. They were like, hey, this thing is corrupt. We need to build something new. Let's reset the whole thing. You had some doubters who were in this discipleship circle. People like Thomas, who said, Jesus, I don't, 
I don't even know what you're about to do. What do you mean you're going to go away? I have no idea what you mean. And then even after Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas said, I will not believe it until I can see him and literally place my fingers in his wounds. But you had some people who worshiped him from the moment they realized who he was. Like John, who's writing this, who's with Jesus even at the cross. And one of the first people to see him raised from the dead. You had people in this group who hated Samaritans and Gentiles. In fact, his followers would include Gentiles and Samaritans and Ethiopians and Greeks and people from all different ethnic groups. Could you imagine what the Christmas dinner conversation would be like if this group of people was sitting around your table? We are commanded to love one another because sometimes even as believers, we do the opposite. Church, if the most hatred that is felt by Christians comes from other Christians, we've missed it. We've missed what Jesus has commanded us to do. We've missed what he has called us to do. He says we are to love one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that word neighbor, I mean, it could, it could mean our literal neighbors who are around us, family members, spouses, friends, those who could never, ever, ever pay you back for something. Those who think the opposite of you. Church of World says, focus on you, look inside of you, make it all about you. And that is what will make you feel love. But God says, love him and to love others. And then when you choose to obey him, even in this, even when it's challenging, you actually experience life to the full. Hey, I want to give you three really practical ways that you can love people, okay, to love others. I want you to write these down. These are not in your notes, but real quick, three practical ways you can actually love people in this season. The first way is that you can pray for them. You can pray for them, to actually to pray for those who are around you, to seek God on their behalf. And of course, all this year I've been challenging you, you wouldn't just pray for somebody, but you actually would pray with them, pray out loud for them as well. You can invest in them. Now, when you're actually loving people, it's going to cost you something. Again, look what it cost Jesus to show us how much he loved us. So when you're actually going to love somebody, you need to invest in them. And this can mean your time, actually giving up some time to be able to invest in other people. It's gonna cost you giving up some of your talent, training people the things that you've learned to do, mentoring them, discipling them. And it's even gonna cost you some of your resources. Again, spending money, hey, taking people out for coffee or lunch, meeting an actual need in their lives, not just praying for them, but actually literally providing for what they need. Church, you may say, look, loving people is hard. Look, I know. In fact, Pastor Sean even said last week, sometimes there's some extra grace required for people who we're going to love. But we need to love them because Jesus has commanded us to. Because even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of God, he loved us. He invested in us. He cared for us. And the last way that Jesus showed his followers to love is to love your enemies. Luke chapter 6. Verse 27, 
Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Church, this is probably one of the hardest teachings in all of the Bible. And we would choose to love those people who are in complete opposition to us. But again, the love that God has given us, this unconditional love, is the same type he wants us to take and to show others, even those who are the opposite of us. And I want to challenge you that you would show this practically, okay? Here's some practical ways that you can actually love your enemy. Because sometimes Christians have thought that means that, look, even if someone hurts you or abuses you, you give them an open door to your heart. That is not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, even in this passage, he gives some clear ways that people who are in opposition to you, that you can show love to them. So here's a, here's a couple of ideas to practically love, in your, you love your enemies and to put what Jesus has commanded into practice. The first way is to allow boundaries. One day, I, I really want to do a whole series on what it means to love with boundaries. Because yes, our, the love God has for us is unconditional. And yes, the love that he wants to show is unconditional. But yes, even in that unconditional, there are some boundaries that are involved. In fact, um, I don't have this in your notes or on the screen, but if you're looking, if right now you're in a situation where you need to establish some boundaries, again, to love people well, I would challenge you to get this book right here. It's called When to Walk Away by Dr. Gary Thomas or another book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. Both of these books talk about how important it is, again, to love people with the love of Christ, but how sometimes even loving them means that you need to establish boundaries. And sometimes people think, look, Jesus would never do that. Jesus did that all the time. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 27, Jesus said to Judas, hey, what you're going to do, do quickly. He literally tells Judas, okay, it's time for you to go. And as he goes away, John chapter 13, the last half of that, all the way up to John 17, is the most powerful passage he gives on how we're to love one another. In fact, even establishing this boundary unleashes some of the greatest teachings the church has ever had on how to love people. And even in Titus, Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 10, Paul even talks about how sometimes you need to distance yourself from people who are stirring up division. Look, there are some times in your life you need to establish a boundary, but you also need to pray for them. You need to pray for your enemies. And I would even challenge you that even if someone's not an actual enemy, but for some reason they're in opposition to you, that you would actually pray good things for them and pray they would believe into Christ. Pray they would experience the same grace that you have been given. And then the last one is our worship team makes their way back up to the stage. I would challenge you that one of the best ways that you can love your enemies is to forgive them. What if this Christmas season, that bitterness that you've been holding on to, 
that person in your life that you will not release? What if this was the season that you say, by God's grace, because of his love for me, I'm going to forgive? What if you release them from the unforgiveness in your heart? Look, God says when you do that, unforgiveness is like bitterness welling, in, welling up in us that drives us further from God and further from people. But when we release that, it brings in the reminder that he loves you with this incredible love. And it gives you hope. You experience his hope and joy and peace. Would you bow your heads this morning? Church, I just want to remind you one more time. This Christmas, God loves you. He's for you. So much so that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And I want to challenge you, maybe if you're sitting here today, look, you've already trusted Jesus as a Lord and leader of your life. Look, you already have believed into Christ. You are a follower of his. Man, I would challenge you that you would love others in the same way that Jesus has loved you. But I want to ask you a question. If you're already a follower of Jesus, is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive right now? Is there an enemy that you need to love? And that's, if that's you in this room and you just need prayer like this to be able to help forgive somebody because you want to practice this in your life, would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Raise your hand up, okay? All right, anybody else? Raise your hand up. All right, you can put your hands down. Church, I know this is hard and it is challenging. And the grace that God gives, the strength that he gives, can help you even forgive the person who has hurt you. Don't let this be a Christmas season where the hurt that they gave to you hinders you, hinders you from experiencing the incredible love that God wants to give you. Maybe you're sitting in this room today and just hey, realize like you haven't experienced this love of God yet. You haven't yet believed into Christ, but man, the reminder that God so loved the world, but he so loved you. It's a reminder he's been calling you loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Man, trusting in the gospel is simply repenting of that sin, believing in Jesus, and receiving this good news of who he is. So if you're ready to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life right where you are, would you just pray this simple prayer to him? Would you say, Jesus, I receive your love. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you are God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I want to follow you forever. And if that's you today, you prayed to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. Would you just raise your hand up so I can pray for you as well? You just prayed that prayer. Raise your hand up. Keep it up just for a moment. Right, anybody else? You can put your hands up. Father God, I want to thank you again, Lord, for the loving kindness that you've shown us. God, I pray, Lord, we've, we've heard this verse so many times, God, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God, I pray that we remember this is a love that we can believe into. God, we can place our trust, our confidence, our hope in Christ. But Lord, this is a love that shows us how we are to love in every other situation, even in how we receive love. God, would you help us to filter the way that we receive and give love through you and you only. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Punchers, just stand and sing one more song.